The following is a message from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Good morning. It's good to be with you. If you've got your Bibles, I'd invite you to open them up to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And before we read God's word, let's let's look to him and lift up our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we um, as we open your word, uh, the book of life uh, revealed to us, we ask that in its pages and in this story, we might see Jesus a little bit clearer this morning. We ask, as, as he asked many years ago, that we might be sanctified in truth, and we thank you that your word is truth. So I ask for my brothers and sisters here and myself that this morning we might, we might be sanctified in your truth, in your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. John chapter 6. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Uh, This morning I'd like to ask you a question. What's your favorite Jesus story? Uh, Perhaps for some of you it's uh, Jesus raising Lazarus or some other person from, from death. Uh, maybe if you're a venophile here this morning, it's the the first sign that Jesus does in the Gospel of John, the making the the wine, the wa- changing the water into wine at, at the wedding at Cana. 
Uh, Maybe it's Jesus' face-off with the demoniac in some of the other gospel accounts. What's your favorite Jesus story? I suspect um, that it might not be the feeding of the 5,000, but I'd like to suggest that the early church and the writers of the gospels, uh, for them, the feeding of the 5,000 may have been their, their favorite Jesus story. Um, it's the only miracle besides the resurrection that occurs in all four gospel accounts, which is pretty significant if you think about it. Pretty, pretty huge. That uh, I mean, at the end of John, we learn, at the end of John's gospel, we learn that Jesus did a, a lot of different things. Um, but John records specific stories, specific accounts, specific words of Jesus that were designed to elicit from us the confession that Thomas has towards the end of the gospel, uh, my Lord and my God. And I'd like us, I'd like us to think about this, this passage, this story in John chapter 6 this morning with that, with that goal in mind, that John is writing this, this story of the feeding of the 5,000. He's writing every word, every sentence, every clause, um, every story in his gospel, but especially this story of the feeding of the 5,000 to elicit that confession that Jesus is Lord and God. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. And I'd like to do that really with, through three points this morning. I'm, I was trained at Westminster. They taught us to do sermons in three points. So I'm going I'm, I'm to use three points this morning. And the three points I'm going I'm, I'm to um, uh, speak to you this morning are these, that Jesus is He's Lord. He's Lord of, first, the belly. He's Lord of the belly. Uh, He's Lord of the bread, and he's Lord of the banquet. Jesus is Lord of the belly, of the bread, and of the banquet. Jesus is Lord of the belly. You know, it's interesting. uh, There's this song, um, perhaps some of you know it. I I struggle with singing it sometimes. It's it's the song, uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Uh, and the lyrics go something like this: Turn your eyes upon Jesus, um, and as you as you as you look on Jesus, the things of this earth grow strangely dim. And I'm sure there's a, there's there's probably a way that we could understand that that is charitable. Um, I, you know, I sort of think about it. You know, if, if if our eyes are fixed on Jesus, then the things of this world, the things that are of less importance than Christ, um, sort of fall to the background. And that that would be a charitable read of that hymn, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I sometimes suspect that maybe it's sort of this sense that sometimes Christians, and we can be a little bit too spiritual for Jesus, um, that the things of this earth go, grow strangely dim in the light of the, the spiritual reality that is Jesus. And if you haven't had uh, that, that dose of Platonism kicked out of you by Dr. Horton this semester, then maybe this story about Jesus feeding 5,000, maybe that will do the trick. Um, there, are, there are six, possibly seven signs in the Gospel of John. As I was reflecting on that this week, I noticed that all of them have to do with Jesus interacting with material, physical, fleshly stuff. Um, he changes water into wine, delicious wine, the best wine. He heals men and women and boys and girls from diseases. He raises people to new life. He feeds 5,000, at least 5,000 individuals with bread and fish. Um, Jesus 
loves the earthly. He loves the fleshly. And I'd like to suggest that in the face of Jesus, perhaps the things of this world actually take on a new significance, a deeper significance, um, once we've understood Jesus' person and work. Jesus loves this world. John tells us in the prologue that he loved this world so much that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God loved the world so much that he sent his son into the world to redeem this world. Jesus didn't just come to renew minds and restring hearts um, and redeem souls, but he came to resurrect bodies, real bodies, fleshly bodies. He came to renew bellies. Um, How do I know that? Well, in John 21, one of the last things Jesus does, and interestingly enough, it's at the Sea of Tiberias. It's at the Sea of Galilee where the feeding of the 5,000 took place. Uh, Jesus comes out of the res- uh, he, he comes out of the tomb in, in resurrection power and glory. And one of the first things he does is sit by a lake, heating up a grill and cooking fish for a resurrection breakfast buffet. That's extraordinary that Jesus' resurrection power and resurrection life that he gives to his people is about a a physical, tangible, real-world thing. That's what it is. That's what he came to do. He loves this world. So I hope that in in seminary, uh, one of the things you're doing is not just packing your heads full of great theology and wonderful truths about God's word, but I hope that you're beginning to see the world, maybe for the first time, through this resurrection lens, that Jesus is making all things new. He's making all things new. He's the Lord of the belly. He's also the Lord of the bread. I, I love I love Jesus' question uh, to Philip. And it's interesting that it's, That the question is directed to Philip. Jesus asks, where are we to buy bread so that all these people may eat? And I love that Philip gets asked. You remember later in in the gospel account in chapter 14, uh, Philip asks a question of Jesus. He he asks Jesus to, uh, for Jesus to show the disciples the Father. Philip has this sort of limited vision on who Jesus is and what he came to do. I love the way D.A. Carson puts it in his commentary on John. He says, Philip's response here in chapter 6 betrays the fact that he can only think at the level of the marketplace, the natural world. That's, that's, uh, That's Philip's response. He can only see... This natural world, he's only thinking at the level of the marketplace. That Not even 200 denarii can buy enough bread to give a little to these people. And I think so often that may be our, the way we view Jesus. We, we, we have a right theology, but when, when the going gets tough, we don't remember and actually believe that Jesus is the very God of very God. Begotten of his father before all worlds. That this Jesus is, is the people in this, in this story miss the point. They miss the point that he was not just giving them 
earthly bread, bread of this world, but he was giving them eternal life, supernatural life. He was life itself come down from the Father. John says in in chapter 1 that all things, all things were made by Jesus and nothing that is made has been made apart from Christ. This is the God-man in whom and through whom all things exist. Jesus is not just the fulfiller of Old Testament types and shadows of the Mosaic economy, although he certainly is that. Notice what John does. He says that this, this took place at the time of the Passover. John, what John is doing is really drawing a, a comparison between what Jesus did, the bread that Jesus gave to the people, and the bread that Moses prayed would come down to the people from heaven in the wilderness as, as, as the Israelites were traveling out of Egypt, out of captivity and slavery to sin. But I want you to notice something. You know, it's interesting. As I, as I was turning back into some of the passages that were describing the Passover, uh, that were describing the, 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 um, the people's process of picking up bread, the manna, as they were gathering it, there was this rule that kept occurring over and over again in both the Passover and the instructions about the manna that you only take as much as you need. That there were to be no leftovers. That, uh, for instance, the, the lamb that was slain at Passover, that anything left over was to be burned and consumed by fire. Uh, and any manna that you took that was left over would eventually rot. Um, you only took what you need. And here Jesus is, is, is showing us in this passage that there are 12 baskets full of leftovers. Jesus breaks the bounds. He bursts through the bounds of this creation because he's out of this world. Because he existed before this world existed and this world cannot contain this God-man, Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus is not a mere fulfiller of typology. He's not just a new Moses. He's very God. He's the one who's come down from heaven to free his people from the ultimate Pharaoh, to break the bonds, to break the shackles, to break the fetters of the ultimate Pharaoh, sin and death. Do you see that this morning? Do you see that this is that Jesus? He's the Lord of the bread. He's also the Lord of the banquet. Uh, notice the people's reaction at the end of this. After, after seeing this sign, they, they're ready to, they're, they're, they confess him as the prophet. The one who Moses predicted would come. A prophet that was like me, but greater than me. Um, and they connect him, they want to crown him king. And that, and that, was, that was a right response. They saw Jesus as uh, the, the great prophet king that was to come. But it was with the wrong motives. They saw him as one who could only provide for them bread to fill their stomachs. Bread to fill their earthly stomachs. They, see, they miss the point. They miss the signposts that John is giving us here. They miss the signposts about what the Passover truly signified, about who it truly pointed to. They miss the signposts that their fathers ate manna in the wilderness and still died. <laughs> 
They missed the signposts that Jesus was offering them bread that was abundant to eternal life. They missed those signposts. They missed what Jesus was ultimately doing. Well, what is Jesus ultimately doing in John 6? He's taking a poor boy's lunch. <laughs> John is the only gospel writer that includes this little, little detail about about uh, the, the boy, the boy with the sack lunch, the poor boy. And most of the commentators say that barley was a, was a sign that barley was a, a food, a, 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 a food that was used primarily by poor people, by poor individuals. Here Jesus takes this poor boy's lunch, all that he had. He's the, he's, he was the only one who came prepared, and here Jesus is taking his sack lunch. But notice what Jesus is doing. He's taking, he's taking the little and he's making it much. He's taking something that's empty and he's filling it up. He's taking something that's completely insignificant in the eyes of everyone else, in the eyes of the disciples, in the eyes of this crowd, and he's making it significant. He took emptiness and he filled it up. Who would have guessed that a poor boy with a sack lunch of five biscuits and two sardines would have been the hero of a crowd of 5,000 men? Who would have thought that a poor Jewish rabbi hanging on a Roman execution device 2,000 years ago was actually the creator king, was the savior of the world? was the hero of not just 5,000 people, but of all humanity and of his elect. No one would have thought about it. But that's what Jesus is doing here. He's demonstrating that he's the life of the world. He's the one who's come to take your and my emptiness and fill it up. He's the king that takes the insignificant and makes them significant. Jesus can take five biscuits and throw a banquet. Do you believe that? Jesus can take your emptiness and fill it up. Do you believe that? Jesus can take your nothing and make it something. Believe it. Let's go to that Jesus in prayer. Our Creator King, we praise you and we thank you for this story, this story that demonstrates so much. We could spend hours here, Lord, and we thank you for giving us these few minutes to reflect on your compassion, your love, the way you provide for us, the hope that you give us through your resurrection, and the confidence that we can have that you are the one who takes emptiness and fills it up. You've been doing that since the beginning of the world. You still do it to this day with people who come with nothing in our hands and you give us everything. You give us your very self. We thank you for that, King Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.
Copyright 2013, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.